1: Showing your support is easy and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org/podcast.
2: From KQED. It's Youth Takeover Week here at KQED. That's the public media station where the Bay Curious podcast is made. So all week students from around the Bay Area are helping to make our programs. Bay Curious is getting help from a high schooler named Kira. She's got a question for us, so we sent her to a tiny alleyway in San Francisco to help get the show started.
3: I'm Kira O'Hara-Hines. I'm a senior at Santa Clara High School. We are at the Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Factory in Chinatown. And there's this huge machine that takes up the entire shop. I think it's the fortune cookie machine. The dough comes out and is squished between these two plates. And then some people are taking the hot dough and folding it into a fortune cookie and putting the fortunes inside. We're here because I heard that San Francisco is the home of the original fortune cookie and I was interested
2: in the story behind it. That's where we can help. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Today on Bay Curious, we're exploring the surprising origins of the fortune cookie. How's it taste? Delicious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes.
1: Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member
2: Fortune cookies appear at the end of almost any meal you might have at a Chinese restaurant. But where did they really come from? Susie Racho brings us the latest installment in our Golden State Plate series about iconic dishes that got their start right here in California. It's a chilly morning
1: at another San Francisco tourist attraction, the Japanese Tea Garden in Golden Gate Park. I'm here with one of the gardeners, Stephen Pitsenbarger. He's a bit of a tea garden historian. We are really a gem that's for San Francisco as much as it's for the tourists. He's taking me to the gift shop, where bolted to the top of a display case, I see two small iron molds, black with long thin handles. They're called kata and are used to make Japanese crackers called senbei. A small sign says that these presses date back to 1914. As You can see a very simple device just pressing it flat. A device Stephen says a caretaker at the garden adapted to make fortune cookies more than a century ago. His name was Makoto Hagiwara and he may have served the first fortune cookies in California right here. Each cookie was imprinted with his initials, MH. The story that I understand is he took a Japanese cookie, uh, Senbei, and he got the idea to put a little note in it.
3: You can probably trace the history of fortune cookies back to LA and San Francisco. But, you know, fortune cookies as a concept go way back to Japan.
1: That's Jennifer Eight Lee. She wrote The Fortune Cookie Chronicles, Adventures in the World of Chinese Food. But her research took her to Japan.
3: Around the shrine in downtown Kyoto, there is actually... A bunch of families that still make quote-unquote fortune cookies in the Japanese tradition.
1: Lee writes about a woodblock print from 1878 of a man grilling what the Japanese call fortune crackers. They look like American fortune cookies on steroids.
3: They're actually bigger and browner. They're made with like miso paste and sesame, so have a much nuttier flavor than the American versions which tend to be yellow and like buttery and vanilla, reflecting American palate.
1: The ones in Japan also have fortunes, but not baked inside. Instead, they're pinched in the fold. Lee says Japanese bakers still make these fortune crackers one by one, much like Makoto Hagiwara did in the 1900s in Golden Gate Park. But making them one by one was time-consuming, and as their popularity grew, the Hagiwaras found they couldn't keep up with demand they outsourced production to a local confectionery shop called Benkyodo.
2: My name is Gary T. Ono. My grandfather was the founder of Benkyodo. His name was Sueichi Okamura.
1: Gary says his grandfather worked with Hagiwara to adapt a fortune cookie recipe to the American sweet tooth.
2: They came up with a vanilla extract flavor that we know today.
1: I visit Gary's apartment in LA's little Tokyo. On the living room ceiling is a giant foam fortune cookie, with the message, Made in Japan, sticking out of it. He drags out a heavy suitcase, where wrapped in newspaper are several kata.
2: Oh, there's where my duffel bag
1: They're heavier than I imagined, and sport the familiar initials, M.H., the Japanese tea garden's Makoto Hagiwara.
2: All right, you can see where a, a cookie dough would go, and then you squeeze it. And you can lock it, then you put it over the charcoal or the flame and, and you flip it.
1: Eventually, Gary says,
2: Benkioto helped
1: develop a machine to mass-produce the cookies. But how did this American adaptation of a Japanese cracker become so associated with Chinese restaurants? Author Jennifer Lee says there were a couple of factors.
3: When the Japanese first came to the United States, a lot of them actually ran Chinese restaurants because back in the 1910s, 1920s, Americans were not eating sushi, right? Sushi, raw fish, like no-go. So instead you had Japanese opening Chinese restaurants because that was familiar with like chop suey and chow mein and egg foo yang. And in this mix of... Japanese families opening uh, Chinese restaurants, they began serving fortune cookies as a form of dessert.
1: So Japanese bakeries in California, like Ben Kyoto, manufactured fortune cookies for decades until 1942, when citizens of Japanese ancestry were forced into internment camps.
2: Now they were taken to racetracks and fairgrounds where the army almost overnight
1: had built assembly centers. Among those were Japanese-American bakers who made fortune cookies.
3: And at the same time, you had a huge rise in popularity of Chinese restaurants during World War II. And as part of that, the Chinese started serving fortune cookies and, in fact, started manufacturing them in mass. So I like to say that fortune cookies, the Japanese invented them, the Chinese popularized them, but the Americans ultimately consumed them.
0: Hi, how are you? Hi. i did, um, sencha for two. One sencha? Uh-huh. And two cups?
3: Yeah,
1: two sure. cups and the um, tea cookies. I'm back at the Japanese Tea Garden in San Francisco, drinking tea and reading fortunes with my husband, John. Mm. Oh, here we go. The stock market may
0: be your ticket to success. <laughs> we'll see about that.
1: personal connection to Fortune Cookies, too. We gave them out as wedding favors. And like the ones now served at the Japanese Tea Garden, they
2: came from Chinatown. That was reporter Susie Racho. This story was produced in collaboration with The California Report magazine as part of the series Golden State Plate. You can find more stories from the series on The California Report magazine podcast. Thanks to Sasha Coca, Victoria Malion, and Seal Muller for their help on this episode. And, of course, a huge thank you to Kira O'Hara Hines, the high schooler who asked this week's question.
3: I love fortune cookies. I love getting the fortunes. No matter how strange they are, I think last time I came here, I got a fortune that said, eat your
2: veggies and you'll be big and strong like Popeye, which is kind of funny. (laughs) I'm Olivia Allen Price. We hope you have a great week.
0: Hi, Big Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Okay, our question for the month is the world's longest running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just